say it. Hold your Bible up. Let's say it together. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I boldly confess. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. I will never be the same again. I will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Father, I thank you again that you have given us your word. You have preserved it in spite of all the designs of the enemy to destroy your word, to pervert it, to corrupt it. You have kept it. And I thank you that you are keeping your word for eternity. I thank you that it is a word that is unlike any other. It is living. It is powerful. It is active. It is sharp. I thank you today that as your word goes forth, not only out of my mouth, but Holy Spirit, out of your mouth, I thank you that word will not return void. Before we begin, Holy Spirit, I invite you again to take literal possession. I invite you to possess my mind, my mouth, every part of me. I only want to say what I hear you say. And I thank you again that you will be speaking powerfully. I release a grace over every spiritual ear here today that as the Holy Spirit is speaking, you will hear specific rhema words in your life. We believe one word from God can change everything. Command every angel that has been assigned to war during this period of time to go to accomplish the will of the Father. With the authority you have given in the name of Jesus, I bind up every demonic bird, and I command you to release every person and be outside the walls of this building. I declare not a single seed. Holy Spirit, that you have declared our hearts. Fertile soil. A spirit of understanding. I declare today that what will be spoken will be understood. There will be no confusion. I thank you for the powerful name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, Amen. How many of you were here last Sunday? Just raise your hand, would you? We have been talking over the last number of weeks about the days that are coming. Some time ago, we talked about the difference between hindsight people and foresight people. Hindsight people get to at the end, they look back, and it makes more sense. But we've talked about the fact that God is calling us to be foresight people, allowing us to know what is coming before it comes. Like Jesus said, when he leaves and the Comforter comes, he said the Holy Spirit will come and will tell you of things that are coming. How many of you were surprised last week when I asked the question, if you could know everything between now and the rapture, if you could know it all, how many of you would like to know it and how many of you would not like to know it? How many of you were surprised by how few people wanted to know the future? The vast majority would, I don't want to know. I want to live day by day. I don't want to know what's coming in a week or a year or 10 years. I would rather just walk in the grace of God and when it comes, believe that, that, that he'll be sufficient. That's okay. But what we talked about last week is that Jesus wanted his disciples to know certain things before they happen. Regardless of how we feel, regardless of how they felt, he said, guys, you need to know a few things. And let me just give you really quick. One, he said, the world hates me. Just want you to know, boys, the world's going to hate you. Just want you to know that. Want you to know that when you identify yourself as being a follower of me, there's going to be some who come and not like you. If you need to be liked by everyone, you better get off the wagon. He said this. He said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. I want to just tell you one thing. You've heard it before. And I think we were absolutely impacted the day the bishop stood at the front of the church and talked about the tribal rivalries that went on in Africa. This is about 13, 14 years ago. When they stopped at a border, they identified their name. The bishop, his wife Margaret, the other pastor that was with them, they were beaten, and those who beat them believed they were dead. They carried them from the road, they took them to the truck, they threw them onto the truck that was filled with a pile of other dead bodies. 
They piled other bodies on top of them. The driver of the truck drove it to where they were dumping off a big open graveyard as they were dumping the truck and hauling and throwing the bodies in. They realized that the bishop, his wife, and the pastor were not dead. In spite of being beaten, they were alive, they were breathing. They took them, took them to the hospital, and they recovered. How does our Western mind even get around the possibility of that happening? We just can't. It's like Mars to us. Yet this is a man who stood in our midst, a man on our same planet, a man who ministered. We, we car rallied with him. He's been in our homes. People who have experienced persecution for their faith in a way that you and I only read about in books. And Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. The disciples experienced it, but the followers of Christ are still experiencing it. Let me tell you, the greatest persecution on the church of Jesus Christ since the time of Jesus is happening today around the world. There are more people being martyred for the sake of Christ today than any other time in history since Jesus. How many of us wake up thinking that? How many of us have a thought in our head that between now and the rapture, or now when we die, that we may have to experience something other than someone not liking us? The Western church doesn't want to hear it. But Jesus said, you need to. You need to be prepared. You need to know what may come. What else did he say to his disciples? We just looked at four of them. The first was, they hate you. Second, they persecute you. The third one was, when they arrest you. Did he say, if they arrest you? He said, when they arrest you. I want to ask you honestly, how many of you have ever had a thought in your head that during your lifetime, you actually might be arrested because of your faith? How many of you have ever had the possible thought that it would happen? Yeah, maybe, maybe six or seven of us. If I asked that question in other parts of the world, do you know how many of the church would raise their hand? The entire church would raise their hand. And they go, what do you mean arrest us? We've already had it happen, had it happen, had it happen, had it happen. He said, disciples, you need to know when they arrest you, and they were arrested, when they arrest you. And one of the other ones, he said, he's walking out of the temple, he looks and he says, guys, the day's going to come when not one stone will be on top of the other stone. We talked about that last week, 70 AD, when the Romans took over, sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, ripped every stone off every stone, then went to Masada. How many of you have been to Masada in Israel? How many of you have been? Yeah. Been to Masada. How many months it took to build the rampart? When they finally got to the top, they went in and found 900 and some dead. They said it would be better to die free than it would be to live a slave to the Romans. We know the story. 70 AD, what Jesus said, the temple will be torn apart, not one stone left on another stone. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned for good. What was the good coming out of that? When the temple was destroyed, the Christian church in Jerusalem fragmented and spread around the world. And we are believers today because of what happened in 70 AD. How many of you know that it's easy to hang in the little cluster? Even the disciples to hang in the cluster. The church went around the world as persecution happened. The gospel message was taken abroad and the world was changed. Last week we began looking at COVID-19. We are still in the middle of it. The rapture of the church, whether it happens this afternoon or in a hundred years, we began looking at some of the furious storms that may hit us during that period of time. I just want to say this again to make it clear. As I share this with you today, I am not prophesying. 
I'm not saying to you today that you and I will spend time in jail. I'm not prophesying that. In fact, I'm believing for the opposite. I'm not prophesying any of the things I'm going to share with you today. In fact, because they are things in the future, there isn't a single one of us who can know with clarity whether it will happen, how it will happen, or if it will happen. So I just want to say to you again, when you walk out of here, don't go, Pastor Colin said this is going to... No, no. What Pastor Colin did is throw out there what possibly we may have to encounter before we are beam me up Scotty. We talked about two things last week. One of them was the possibility of having to wear a mask anytime outside of our home. Can anybody just tell me um, what happened this past week? David? Yes. Mask wearing became mandatory in Calgary this past week. Last week. Oh, on August 1st, that's right. August 1st. Has Edmonton made that decision already? In all city buildings, Edmonton and transit and doctors, there's a whole bunch of guidelines. Now the smaller rural communities are all having to look at it. Our mayor and our council will be looking at it as well. August 1st will be the date that every one of us, every one of us will be carrying a mask. If we enter the city, enter any of those areas, enter public, we will be required to wear them. We talked last week about the possibility of that happening in the future. I did not think that in one week that would manifest. I had a chance to listen this past week to a lawyer from Ontario, a Christian lawyer. Ontario has right now the most rigid mask wearing policy. He went through those policies, began looking at the, bi the, um, uh, the, the bylaws in all those policies. He made a couple statements that were interesting. He said, um, there are those who, because of other certain physical issues in their life, will be exempt from wearing masks. He said, it'd be good to find out who those are who are exempt. There will be some. He also said that churches um, have their own regulations, churches have their own dominion, and he said, as churches, you should look into the ability that you have to do different than what the bylaw is for the area. He goes, he goes it'd be good to look at that. One thing he did say, he said, there will be those who have the ability, when it comes down mandated, the ability to resist it by being a conscientious objector. Be good to look at that. Jane and I listened this past week to an interview with Dr. Mercola, who actually made a statement. Uh, he went through, studied, did the research, looked at it all, and he's actually saying uh, it is a more unhealthy to wear a mask, and he's going, this is the time that as a church we need to stand and resist it, because if we don't resist this one, the other ones will come easy. I just want to say to you, when, when this comes down on August 1st, I want to say to you, you need to pray, and you need to be spirit-led in what you do. Make sure you don't do it in rebellion. Make sure you don't do it in offense. Make sure you don't do it in an ungodly way. If the Spirit leads you to wear a mask and to comply, you do it. And if the Spirit says to you, be a conscientious objector and don't do it, and be prepared to be questioned, be prepared to be fined, be prepared to go to a reprogramming camp, whatever it takes, if the Holy Spirit leads you, He will give you the grace. August 1st. The second one we talked about was the virus. We talked about the chip. We talked about the biometric chip that is happening in Israel. We talked about the chip that may be coming in order to identify those who've been vaccinated and those who haven't been. I said to you last week that until they ask me to renounce my faith, until they ask me to put allegiance in someone else, to me, that's not overly critical. I might object to a vaccination. If that vaccination can be proved to be unhealthy, I just want to say to you really clearly, some of you have watched the program, The Truth About Vaccines. If you haven't, you should. 
young parents recognizing that the vaccines going into their children are filled with products, some of them, to increase the shelf life that are actually having brain damage, neurological damage to children. They talk about the dates coming up. I don't know if you knew that when you go to a doctor, you can request a vaccine that has no additive in it. They will bring it in. They have to. They can inject your child with the vaccine that can be helpful in building the immune system without polluting them with all the additive, with the mercury, with the shelf life material. You can do that. I don't know if most parents know that. But is it possible when a mandatory vaccine comes for COVID-19 and other viruses, we'll talk about those in a minute, is it possible that we could request a vaccine that isn't loaded with mercury, isn't loaded with other additives? We need to find that out. I want to share with you a few more, if you have your piece of paper and pen, I want to give you a few this week. may not get through them all next week. Before we do that, would you turn with me to Psalm 91? I want you to see something. Psalm chapter 91. Can I ask how many of you have been using Psalm 91 on a daily, weekly basis during this period of time? How many of you? Yeah. I said to someone the other day, they worked in the school system, and uh, they were required to take the flu shot. And I said, I, I would like you to think the next time you are required to do that in the school system, that you would say, yes, I've taken the flu shot. They're not saying, can I see your hole? They're not saying, can I see the certificate? Although, although, when it comes to the vaccination for COVID, uh, there will be a certificate. We will be able to identify those who do and those who don't. But I said, just let them know you've taken your flu shot. Just don't say it was Psalm 91 flu shot. How would that fly? Let the spirit lead you on that one. Just let the spirit lead you. I want you to see something on Psalm 91. I want you to see it. We all know this, some of us off by heart, but I want you to look at it. It says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save me from the fowler's snare. Can we just stop for a second? Is it saying that there is going to be fowler's snare that happens and he will save me from them? Or is he going, there will be no fowler's snare? What's he saying? He's saying there is going to be fowler's snare, but he goes, I will save you from them. Now, we're not going to talk about Fowler's snare this morning. We know what that is literally and spiritually. Fowler's snare, someone who sets up a snare in order to capture a bird. You've got to be pretty good that way. Just talked to someone this week who made a trap to catch magpies and pigeons. It was a beautiful trap, but they haven't caught one. So far. Oh, thank you, Gord. Appreciate that. Didn't want to identify you. Fowler's snare. What is Psalm 91 saying? The enemy is going to put snares out there for you and I as believers. They're going to be there. Expect them, even look for them. But the promise is he will protect you from wandering aimlessly into that snare and being caught. Can I just say to you, the design of the enemy in every person's life is that they do not come to Christ. That's his design. If you do come to Christ, his design is to keep you from growing to maturity. That's his design. And if you are walking with Christ and growing, his design is to trip you up and to make you fall. I want to tell you really bluntly. Don't raise your hand. Are any of us aware of any spiritual leaders, pastors, evangelists, big people out there who have been caught in the fowler's snare and as a result lost their marriage, lost their ministry, lost their reputation, they lost their effectiveness for Christ, they lost it all. Why? Because they snapped into a snare. We all know them. I'll tell you bluntly. The design of the enemy is to take out every pastor in this community. That's his design. I know that in my life. A word from Chuck Swindoll years ago, I'll tell you, affected my life in a way that I don't... I can't think of anything else in this area. He made a statement. 
He said it takes 40 years to grow a tree. It takes a few chops of an axe to knock it down. He goes, that is exactly the way it is with people's character, their reputation, their ministry. You can build this thing for how many years, but a couple of bad decisions on one night can destroy it all. I'm not immune, guys. Every power of hell would love to wreck my marriage. And he's tried. Every power of hell would like to trip me up morally, and he's tried. Every power of hell would love to wreck my reputation, wreck my ministry, wreck every power of hell. There are snares out there waiting for me to step into. Psalm 91 does not promise there will be no snares. Psalm 91 says there are snares that are waiting for you. I will help you not land in them. Let's go on and find out what Psalm 91 also tells us is coming. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from deadly what? will save you from deadly pestilence. Let me say it again. He doesn't say, I'm going to keep deadly pestilence from coming. He says, deadly pestilence is going to come, but when it comes, I will save you from it. Let me give you one term that we've heard that has just come alive inside of me. John G. Lake made a statement in South Africa dealing with the bubonic plague. He goes, I am a germ graveyard. Any germ, any bacteria, any plague, any virus comes and touches me, it dies. I am a virus graveyard. I'm declaring it. But what does he say? Deadly pestilence is coming, but when it comes, I will save you from it. Let me go down a few more. He will cover you with his feathers. Under his wings he will, you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. Listen to this. You will not fear the terror of the night. Can I just say this? The terror of the night. It's coming. It's already been. It's coming. The terror of the night. It says, when it's here, we're not going to fear it. It's not that it's not coming, that I'm going to be safe from it, that I'll be protected, that it won't happen in my lifetime. No, it's saying the terror of the night is going to come. When it does, I will protect and save you from it. Look at what else it says is coming. He goes, you will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. Are arrows going to fly by day? Yes, they will. Are we talking literal arrows? Maybe. What are some of the arrows that we might experience during the day that says, I will save you. You will not be affected by what's going to happen in the daylight that's going to be out there. We'll talk about that in a second. Look at the next one. Nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. I want to ask you one thing really clearly. How many of you believe that COVID-19 is going to be the only virus that's released on the earth in order to do its damage. How many of you believe it is the only one? We'll never see it again. Just raise your hand, would you? Look around the room, not a single person. You know what that means? That means we believe, this is not just the first, we believe that there are probably going to be more that come. But this is the promise. When the plague comes at midday, what does he say? I'll protect you from it. I'll keep you from it. It will not come near your house. It will come not nigh your tent. You will watch a 1,000 die at your right, 10,000 on your left, but it will not what? I wonder if we need to begin believing some of these words literally. Jane used a word this morning that just jumped out at me. She said, you know what? What's up on that screen is not a bumper sticker. This is reality. I, I wonder for how many of us, not Psalm 91 has been a comfortable bumper sticker. 
truth is, for most of us, it will be a bumper sticker until we face, until we face. And then, will we have the faith to believe that it is for us? We know Psalm 91. We know it. I would just like you to write it down really quickly because we are looking at all of these things through certain lenses. We have to look at the future through the lens. There's three things we talked about. The first one is this. God says, I will be with you. I will never leave you and forsake you. That is the promise of scripture. It doesn't matter if we're in the bottom of the well, if we are in prison. It doesn't matter where we are. He goes, I will be with you. You will never go through it alone. COVID-19 takes over the world. The spirit of fear releases itself. He goes, I'll be with you. We've got to have that lens. Let me just say for every person that the spirit of fear has attached itself to, they do not have a consciousness that God is with them. If they did, that fear would not land. I don't care if you call yourself Christians. There are spiritual orphans with the title Christian on their forehead. And they walk in fear because they do not walk with an awareness of God with them and in them. The second one is this. Genesis 50, verse 20. What the enemy meant for evil, God will turn and work for good. If we have that lens, it doesn't matter what happens in our life. We believe what the enemy unleashes for our evil, we're, we're just going to watch God take and turn this. We could talk all day about what he is even, he's even doing these days. Jane and I had an opportunity this past week. Something rose up. And the temptation was to look at the negative. And all we said was, let's watch how God turns this for our good. Without that lens, you won't even look for it. The last one is this, Romans 8, 28. I would encourage you to memorize these, get them in there. If you could, tattoo them on the back of your eyelid so every time you blink, they are there. We know that in all things, how many? All, in all things, God works together for good. For those who love him and are called according to their purpose, that's us, born-again believers. All things. Let's talk about a few. Just really quickly to wrap up, and again, I want to tell you, I'm not prophesying, but I believe we need to look at a few things to be aware there are many out there who are saying already that we need to be fully prepared for the next, not only wave of COVID, we need to be prepared for the next release of the next virus that's being formulated and manufactured in labs around the world. There will be more that are released upon this globe in the not so distant future. We as believers need to be at a place where we go, when we get the report, whether it comes out of China, it doesn't matter where it comes out of, we need to look and go, we knew that was coming. And it doesn't trigger any fear. I'm not scared with the next one. I wasn't scared of the last one. I'm not going to be scared of the next one. I'm not going to allow people around me who are captured by the spirit of fear to have that transfer onto me and for me to lose my freedom because someone else in my life is freaking out. For some people, the next virus is going to be like a Mack truck. Holy smoke, did you think that was going to happen? Yes. In fact, let me tell you, we knew it was going to happen. Because pestilences is plural, not singular, it's plural. Let me tell you what almost every person on the globe knows who has ever read a book, has ever listened to the news, is aware of anything going on. There is an agenda to depopulate the earth. Has anybody heard that? There are those out there who are going, there are too many people on this planet. We need to reduce the number. Can I just say to you, uh, COVID-19 was a very bad way to reduce numbers because it didn't work. One of the, again, one of the top doctors in the US has made a statement said, the only individual who died from COVID, a 34-year-old lady in Ohio who had no other symptoms. She ended up dying. They attribute her to be the only COVID person. Every other person had contributing factors. They had other issues. 
Uh, you're, you're aware, right, that every doctor who writes COVID death receives $15,000. You're aware of that? Okay, this is public knowledge. It's been in the news. There's, there's court cases that are going on now where children are taking doctors to court for falsely on the death certificates. We, we know that's going on. COVID did not do physically what they thought it would do, but COVID is doing amazingly what they were hoping they would do when it comes to surveillance, when it comes to fear, when it comes to moving the world in an agenda. COVID was successful at that. Can I tell you, there's more coming that will be more successful at eliminating the population. I wish that would happen after the rapture. I do. How many of you would love all the things I'm going to talk about if they would take place after we're gone? Just raise your hand. How many of you? Yes, that's normal. I would rather not be here for a pile of this stuff. But what I can say is when the next one comes, and the next one comes, and the next one comes, if I'm a Joseph, I look and go, God is with me. He'll take what the enemy meant for evil in my life and my family, and, and he'll turn that and work it for good. And, and I know that in all things God works together for my good. That, that thing isn't going to touch or move. I'm going to watch 10,000 die beside me. I wish they wouldn't. We just need to be aware. This is not a one-time-in-history deal. I would like you to write down Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. I will read it for you so you don't have to look it up. Do we have the ability to shoot that up on the screen or no? Matthew chapter 10, verse 21. These are red words. It means Jesus' words. He said... Jesus made this statement. He said, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child to death. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. I want to say this to you very carefully. But I believe we need to be prepared that as we enter into this period of time, we need to be prepared that the spirit of the enemy is going to be seeking to unleash division in families like we have never seen before. We talked some time ago, even in this COVID, even in this very small thing, how many people experienced some tension in families, people who were bound up and they were really ticked off by our freedom. The majority of us put our hand up and said, yeah, I got family members who looked and said, what the flip are you doing? Why aren't you wearing a mask? Why aren't you staying in your house? Why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you? We know that we are moving toward a place where not only surveillance, but also reporting of other people who are not complying is being encouraged. Can I ask you when Jesus said the time is coming when children will betray their parents and have them put to death? What is that about? Let me say this again. My hope would be that this happens after the tribulation, when parents are choosing not to take the mark and the children are taking it because they go, this is what you've got to do. They take the mark and swear allegiance. The parents aren't. And the children go, authorities, my mom and dad. I want you to be aware of this. The time may come when a virus is, the vaccine is mandatory. The time may come that if a person refuses to take the vaccine, that they will either be threatened with a charge, and we know right now in, when masks are mandatory, it's a $1,200 charge if you're out without a mask, where they're mandatory, $1,200. If you refuse a vaccine and you've got other people who've got the vaccine, even family members, they report on you, I want you to be aware the time may come where not only do they charge you, but if you refuse to pay, that they might not just imprison, but they actually may put you in education camps in order to reprogram until you come in line with a system. We're all very aware right now of the German lawyer who is still in a psychiatric ward because she questioned the decisions of the government regarding COVID. She questioned it, they came and arrested her, and now they've deemed her mentally unstable in a psychiatric ward because she is not complying with the government regulations. Let me just say, um, there may be some believers who are considered mentally unstable 
if we do not agree or comply with what is coming. But what Jesus said is this. We need to be prepared that in families, children may rise up, report the parents, and actually have them put to death in order to comply. Parents reporting children and have them put to death if they do not comply. Jesus made a statement which is not a comfortable, popular. He goes, I did not come to bring peace. He goes, I came to bring division. My message is not a message of peace. My message is a message of division. There will be those who follow and those who hate those who follow. I want to tell you what you already know. Even with COVID-19, which is a tiny little birth pang in preparation, some of you have had issues with your children. Some of you have had issues with your parents. I don't care about neighbors. I don't care about coworkers. Let's just set that aside. Division in families is probably one of the most wounding. My hope is that it will never happen before the rapture. My prayer is that it will happen on this other side over here. Can't help that. But we need to be prepared that if we take a stand, that we may have some in our family who come against that stand. The question is, how will we respond? How many of us have ever thought that in our lifetime, we may experience in our families division, we may experience strife, we may experience reporting on one another. How many of us ever thought in our lifetimes that would happen? Can I just say, as we move forward, if we begin to see it and experience it, we go, I'm not shocked by that. In fact, I've already been praying about it. In fact, I'm already preparing for it. In fact, I've been seeking the Holy Spirit how to deal with what's coming. Division in families. Would you write down Matthew chapter 24, verse 7? Matthew 24, verse 7. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is talking about the end time. He's talking about some of the things that the birth pangs will be looking for. Just want to look at verse 7 where he makes this statement. The second half of the verse, he said this. He said, there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. Famine and earthquakes in various places. How many of you have heard anything about preparation for food shortages that may be coming in the very near future? How many of you have heard anything about that? Just raise your hands high, would you? Yeah. Can I say this to you? If the Spirit of God is the Spirit who tells us of those things that are to come, I just want to say it really clearly. I believe that those who have ears to hear, if we are going to be entering in a time where there is food shortage, where there is famine, whatever, I believe the Spirit of God will be letting us know ahead of time so that we can prepare. It is not fear. It's called the Joseph anointing. God gave Joseph the wisdom to put seven years away knowing that seven years of famine were coming. The Spirit of God does that with preparation. Again, I'm not prophesying it's going to happen. Again, my hope is that it does not happen in our lifetime or up until the rapture. If it happens after, that's one thing. Jesus said, times of famine. I want to say this to you. There is talk already into the near future of food shortage. Those in the agriculture industry are very aware of what's happening to soils, what's happening to the bugs, what's happening to diseases what's happening to portions of land that used to be incredibly productive that are now losing that productivity. There are people who are already saying that we need to be about beginning to store, beginning to put away, beginning to prepare, even for a year or a two-year period of time. There are those who've been advocating that for quite a while. I want you to hear clearly, I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, 
I believe the Holy Spirit will let every individual know what they should be doing when they should be doing it. Let me give you a great example. Jesse Duplantis made a statement. He said in the area of finances, he said, when everything was going good, the Holy Spirit said to him, Jesse, pull everything out that you have, move it into this area right here because the crash is coming. He went to his banker and said, I want everything out. The banker goes, what are you talking about? Your returns are amazing. The stock market is climbing. Everything is going good. He said, is it your money or mine? He says, I want my money out. This is where I want my money to go. The banker said, I want to tell you one more time. This is a mistake. You should not do it. This is a prime gaining time. Jesse said, it's mine. Move it out. He moved it out, put it over. Six months later, the crash happened. That Christmas Eve, the banker came to his home, brought a fruit basket and said, you are the only person in the bank who made money in this time as compared to lost it. We want to know how you did it. Jesse looked and went, God told me. The banker said, the next time God tells you something financially, could you let me know? I want to just say this to you. There were famines in the Old Testament. When the nation of Israel walked away from God and they experienced a famine, Elijah went, and in a famine there was no food. God said, Elijah, I'll look after you. I'll send a raven, and I'll feed you. Can I just say to you, as children of God, I believe there are spiritual ravens that are being prepared now to look after the children of God during times of famine. They're going to come, but they're spiritual ravens that are being prepared. God also told Elijah, said, okay, the food's running out. I want you to go to visit a, a, a woman, a widow in, in Zarephath. I want you to go there and ask her to make you a meal. She goes, I'm just getting a little bit of wood, got a little flour, got a little oil. I'm making one more meal. My son and I are going to eat it, then we're going to die. Elijah said, prepare me food first. She said, okay, prepared the meal, gave it to him. He said to her, your flour, your oil will not run out until this famine is complete. Her oil did not run out. Her flour did not run out. Can I say to you, in a time of famine, those of faith will not only be fed, but those of faith will actually prosper. We know the Isaac anointing. We know it. But I want to say to you, Jesus is saying before the end is coming, I hope it happens after the rapture, but if it doesn't, if famine across the globe begins to take place, you and I need to look at it and go, God, you're with us. What the enemy means for evil, you can take and turn it for good. I believe that all things work together for good. Famine, we need to look and go, it's coming, but I just want to say to you, You and I need to be at a place when the Spirit of God speaks to us about moving our money, we hear it, and we move it. When the Spirit of God speaks to us about putting food away for a season, we hear it, and we do it. When the Spirit of God says, you need to get out of debt and get your house in order, we need to hear it, and we need to do it. When the Spirit of God gives us instruction, we need to hear it and do it. I'll tell you, there's going to be a pile who wear the label Christian. They will not hear it, and they're going to miss it. They're going to miss it financially. They're going to miss it food-wise. They're going to miss it. What, why is it? We, we know this. 9-11. Why was it the morning of 9-11? There were thousands of people when they woke up that morning without talking to each other, had a sense, I should not go to work today. They phoned in. They did not go to work on a normal work day. Thousands of people heard, do not go to work. They were obedient. The towers went down, and they went, didn't understand it, but I didn't go. I believe in these days that are coming, the Spirit of God is going to be talking to us about everything that's going to be happening tomorrow, next year, in every area of our life. We need to hear it. And can I just say this to you? If the Spirit of God says to you, I want you to begin storing away food. I want you to begin putting it away. Can I ask you not to judge other people who aren't doing it? Can I ask you not to make it a public proclamation that if God said it to you, he's going to say it to everybody? I'll say this carefully. It may be that some don't have the faith to hear, but it may be that when the famine happens, they have the faith to go, God, send
send me a raven. And he will. And it may be that some have the Joseph anointing that they are storing up for those who don't hear, for those who will be caught without. So when it happens, they go, you know what? We've already got this prepared. Neighbor, come on over. Church person, come on over. I'm not judging you. God asked me to store away enough for you. I'm not prophesying famine. But I am saying that if, if that is one of the storms that this world is going to encounter before the church disappears, you and I should not be caught off guard. Would you write this down? Revelation chapter 13, verse 17. This will be the last one I do today. Would you write down cashless society? Cashless society. Jenny and I listened to a message by John Hagee a couple weeks ago. John Hagee made a statement. I mean, we all know him. We all know his, his prophetic voice, his message, the whole deal. But he made a statement in that message that was worth listening. And he said this. He said, do you realize that overnight, things are already in place to move us from a cash society to a cashless society? Overnight, things are prepared for that to happen. How many of us thought about the possibility that in our lifetime we would get to the point where there would be no cash circulating anymore? How many of us ever thought in our lifetime we would move to a cashless society? Now just raise your hand. How many of you thought? A few. How many thought it was down the road, probably after the rapture, probably after I'm dead? Okay, the vast majority. There are people out there saying now that in the last three and a half months as we've experienced COVID, things have accelerated so quickly it would have taken decades to move to where we are in three months. Let me tell you what you know. Anybody have a $100 bill that you want to get rid of? <laughs> Anybody have any bill? Any, any, any bills right now? You got one, John? Did I just see it for a second? Okay. How many of you have been to a store in the last little while in our little community and a sign said cash? No longer welcome, no longer accepted. How many of you have been to a store? Cash, no longer. Yeah. Can I ask you why? They don't want to handle it. So what has gone out over the airwaves and what has been believed by people is that this is an instrument of death. That to handle cash could carry because you have no idea who touched it. It is transactional from hand to hand to hand. That we are in a society today where they're going, this is an instrument of death. We need to remove it. I told you last week already, already it's being reported around the world, there's coin shortages. As they stop printing coins, there's coin shortages already go around the world. No, that's good. I appreciate your willingness to protect them. I really, I really do. I want you to think about this for a moment, okay? And... We've had some great discussions at men's group about this, but I want you to think about this. Just raise your hand if you already have a debit or a credit card, would you? Okay. Put your hand up if you don't have one. Okay, look around the room. Okay. Because you're underage. Thanks, guys. Cashless society means this. That means that every transaction that we make, regardless of how big or how small, is going to be recorded digitally, be recorded computer. There will be full knowledge by the government, by authorities, by banks over every transaction that is made. Let me tell you what has already been out there. In Canada, the underground or the cash market, they say, is larger than the GDP market, what happens above the line, what happens under the line, people selling, people moving, trading, they, they do a grad sale, they move cash, there's no, no tracking, no record, no GST. They're saying the amount under is greater than the amount above. To move from a cash to society, if you and I can be afraid of a bill, afraid of a transaction, if you've been to a bank, you know it is crazy. The flexi is everywhere. We know that. The guard is at the door. We know that. But every time they do transaction, every time they do your paperwork, every time they do anything, what are they doing? Squirting, putting on the alcohol, cleaning themselves again because of the fact that they could be exposed to a deadly, and the belief is, the belief is if you catch it, you're going to die. That's the belief. 
Okay, that's what's going to stop you. Let me tell you what some say out there, and people don't hear the truth. They're going 99.6% of people who are exposed to COVID, the virus, will not get it. 99.6, if they're exposed, they will not get it. And yet, why is the world in fear? Why are they locking down? Why are they afraid of the second wave? Why are they closing up even more? We know because it's not medical, it's spiritual. We know that. We, we know that. But part of that is the agenda. We know that the time is going to come where there's going to be a one-world currency. Time is going to come where it's going to be a cashless society. Revelation 13 is in the period after the rapture. But you've got to recognize things are happening now that are moving toward what is going to take place here. John Hagee goes, tomorrow things are in place for cash to no longer be used and for us to move cashless. Digital financial transactions. Now, some people are going, oh, the chip will never happen in our lifetime. There are some who are going, the chip will take place after the rapture. That chip will come in. It's the mark of the beast. It's 666. This is the chip. I want to throw something by you. Every one of us in here have already accepted the chip. We use it every day. We've taken it. We're using it. We're transacting with it. The only difference is, is that it's not in our forehead and it's not in our, our hand right here. It's in our pocket. It's in our wallet. We have it in plastic. We use the chip every day. Every day, that chip. You want to know the amount of information about you on that chip? They have it all. It is a very small jump to take the chip off of your card, which is identified to you. It is a very small thing to take that chip, which is like cash. You hand it, you hand it back again. How many of you have been to the store where they have the little reacher, where they're reaching out with the reacher? You take it, they reach it back like this. Okay, it's, it's really interesting. But to remove the credit card, to take the chip and to literally put it on you, so all you have to do is go like this. No handling, no transaction, no COVID on the chip, on the, on the card, nothing at all. To have the chip inside, it's a small jump from the card to carrying it with you. Small jump. Let me just say this to you, and unless the Holy Spirit leads me to do different, I will, I will do different. At this point, I will not resist at all if I need to take my personalized financial chip and embed it. If that is the way that it goes, if that's the way society goes, I will have, I don't think at this point I'll have no problem taking it. Because I have no problem using my debit now. I got no problem using my credit card now. I am not having to swear allegiance to anybody by doing it. Although a pile of people are in slavery to the bank as a result of that, that's a whole nother issue. But to have it here instead of in my wallet to have no cash, I don't see that as a big issue. I'll tell you what will happen on the other side of this. We talked about it a little bit last week. On the other side of this, where the chip is present, and now I need to swear allegiance to an antichrist or a world leader in order for this to work. And if I go, I'm not swearing allegiance, I'm not changing my faith, and they go, if you don't, we're deactivating. How long does it take to deactivate the chip now? Press of a button. On the end of the phone, that's all they do. You lose your credit card, you phone in, they go, it's deactivated. Nobody will use it. We'll send you out another one, right? Deactivation can happen in a moment. I believe that deactivation will probably happen after the rapture. But in order to prepare for that whole thing coming, moving to a cashless society, which we are and will likely be in the next couple of years, if not sooner, moving away from cashless to make every transaction accountable to the government and to have a transaction chip that is likely in our lifetime. ask you another blunt question how many of you ever thought if I came to you five years ago would have ever thought that you would have to wrestle with the decision of an implanted chip in order to do transactions how many of you ever thought in your lifetime one two let me ask you today as a result of what's going on in the world how many of you have thought of the possibility of it happening in your lifetime how many of you almost all of us I'm not prophesying, but I want to say this. I was talking to somebody this week who made the statement and said, 
we probably need to be prepared for our RSPs to be taken by the government because of such financial deficits. I said that's a possibility. Does the government have the ability to go into savings accounts, to go into retirement accounts, to go into checkings accounts? Does the government have the ability to go into those accounts and to seize those funds in order to do the work of the government? Do they have the ability to do that? Yes, they do. Can I say to you, for those who put their trust in mammon, the days that are coming, might they be fearful? They should be. It should be incredibly fearful for people who have their trust in mammon. It should be incredibly fearful because if that is taken away and you've got nothing else. Let me tell you why I believe a lot of wealthy people are wealthy. Because they put no trust in money. I believe there are very few wealthy Christian people because the majority of Christians who get money put their trust in money the wealthy ones go, take it away. God's my provider. He did this one time. He can do it again. He can do it again. He can do it again. It's not about money. It's about provision. It's about my God, my El Shaddai, the one who meets my need. Is it possible that in the days coming, we might not only have to move cashless and transact with a chip, but where the government says, we are needing it, we are taking it. And what we'll do in exchange is we will give you a monthly subsidy to live on. Like everybody, we'll give you a certain amount every month. That is what you will live on. But everything, we need it. It will be ours. Can I ask you a question? Would our government be the first one to do that in the world? Has it ever happened in any other generation before? It has absolutely happened. Yes. I believe the godly rich will have no problem. I believe the godly rich will have no problem because they go, you know what? God look after us. He did it before. We had nothing. You take that away. No choice in it. God will provide. God will raise up. God will make another opportunity. Those who are trusting in their wealth are going to have a crisis of faith when that happens. If it happens. My prayer is it won't happen. My prayer is in our lifetime... Our bank accounts won't be touched. Our RSPs won't be touched. Our retirements won't be touched. That is my prayer. That is my hope. But what makes us think as we're entering into these days that you and I are immune from what countless people have already experienced. I want you to think about this. Of all of the things God could have chosen, he said, you can only serve one of two masters. God or... Why did he choose that? And all the enemy has to do is touch this one to find out where the faith is in this one. I want you to be thinking and praying about these things. Next week I want to share a few more with you. true sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. I encourage you to memorize that. The true sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit of God. Some of you come August 1st, you'll be conscientious objector because the Holy Spirit said to you, I don't want you wearing a mask, not out of rebellion, but Spirit-led, I don't want you wearing a mask. If that's what the Spirit says to you, be obedient. If you pray about it and the Spirit says, you wear a mask, you comply, you honor. They're not challenging your faith. You do that in compliance. You wear the mask because the Spirit told you to do it. In every area of our life. And I believe in these latter days leading up to this, in every storm, the Spirit of God is going to tell us what to do, tell us where to go, tell us how to handle it, tell us where to be and where not to be. Any questions? Anything rising up? Ken? Yeah. So what Ken is saying is this, regardless of what comes, 
there will be those who simply comply and say nothing. The absence of voice is what? It's a statement of acceptance. So what he is saying is, if we make a choice to comply, that doesn't mean we need to be silent. Let me say we need to continue to speak out against. We'll talk about that more. Good point. Somebody else. Harold? Yes. Yes. If Harold is saying even in his dad's day, his dad already talked about the devaluation of money, already talked about a wheelbarrow being full of money isn't enough to buy a loaf of bread. Okay? I think any of the persons who went through a de the depression realized that in hours, realized within days, the money had zero value at all. Zero value within hours and days. Most of us have never known that in our lifetime. And so we believe it's just going to continue to be as it's always been. Not necessarily true. Harold? Yes. So Harold's making a statement. He said if the border was closed between the U.S. and Canada, Canada would be starving within a week. Oh, there's a lot, a lot we could talk about that whole thing. Yeah. So let me just say this in this area. Are there parts of the world that are starving right now? Yes, there are. Is it because the earth can't produce enough food? No. Political reasons make it so that people starve. It's got nothing to do with supply. It's got everything to do with control. Very quickly. David. Yes. So talking about Stalin, exporting grain out of Ukraine, starved his own people. I think some of us are very aware. Uh, we talk about the 6 million Jews that were killed during that period of time. How many of us ever hear about the 30 million Ukrainians that were starved during that period of time? 30 million. That's actually in some of our lifetimes, by the way. There's people alive today who actually were alive when, when that happened. Somebody else is over here. Dean? Yeah. So what Dean is talking about is it used to be that all money, the value of money, was backed up by gold. Okay, Everything in the banks was backed up by gold. How many years ago did that remove? The gold standard was removed and in the 70s. And can I just ask you, how many of you are aware over the last 20, 25, 30 years of which country has been buying up the vast majority of gold in the world? Which country? China. We're aware of that. So we're aware of the fact that there has been something going on in the Chinese economy. How easy will it be to topple, we're going to talk next week, to topple the U.S. government that has no longer any gold standard for their finance that is how many trillion in debt? Let me just say it this way. The past administration took it from eight to $17 trillion in debt. In eight years, the past administration. One administration more than doubled what every president of the United States since its founding had in debt. In eight years, one president eclipsed it. How long will it take to collapse the US government's economy? Overnight. Good way to put it. All right. Ken, one last one. It can be out in the open, but how many don't see it? Let me tell you, I believe the Spirit of God wants every child of God to see it. There should not be one child of God who's caught by surprise of anything that's coming. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Let's end today, Father. I want to thank you again when you sent your Spirit you told us that he would be telling us of those things that are to come. How faithful you were with the disciples, how faithful you have been with believers all down through time, how faithful you are with this generation that we are in. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you'd begin to open our eyes and our ears, that we would begin to see things that we have never seen before, we'd understand things, we'd be able to put things together. I thank you that you are preparing us so that it doesn't matter what comes, we're not caught off guard, but Father, in the midst of it we go, I know I'm not alone. And I will watch how you will turn and work this for good. Let us look at the future with that lens. I ask, Holy Spirit, that we would begin to read the word of God differently. I ask as we have the word in one hand and the newspaper in the other, that God, it would begin to make sense in a way that it has never before. And with the authority that you have given, I declare your word. You have not given us a spirit of fear. But you have given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, 
and a spirit of a sound mind. We receive that spirit in these days. And I say thank you in advance for the privilege of being alive during these days. I declare to you what you already know. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine on you and to be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and fill you in these days with his peace and his presence. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and everybody receiving it said, Amen.